The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. And get ready for Fed Day. Futures they are higher as interest rates get set to rise once again. Google and Microsoft, they're higher, too, despite some historic slowdowns of both companies. We will break down the results. Russia tightening the screws and set the slow flows on the Nord Stream pipeline yet again, what exactly it means for all of Europe ahead. Plus, the company one massive hedge fund is buying into, later add Twitter to the growing list of companies hitting the brakes on hiring. Full story coming up on this Wednesday, July 27th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and welcome to Fed Day. The central bank is likely going to raise rates again later today. That's pretty much a lock. The only question is, what might it indicate about future demand for rates? Now, ahead of that, stock futures are higher. Dow futures up 167, NASDAQ soaring. NASDAQ futures up 200 points right now. Now, the markets actually held up pretty well yesterday, considering Walmart's disaster of a day. Nearly half the Dow was higher on the day. Pretty good day, considering what Walmart delivered us. And bonds, yields are a little changed, just under 2%. They haven't moved at all in recent days. But, of course, they could on any big swing or change in Fed guidance this afternoon. Energy, though, remains the space to watch. Natural gas soaring both here and overseas. Yet again, on expected strong demand and cut supply. Now, there we are in the United States at $9.10. If we look at the European price, the so-called Dutch TTF market, that's priced in megawatts per euro per hour. It's a little bit due to conversion there, paying the equivalent of $60 in Europe. We're paying $9.10. Look at that chart. That's the equivalent of $60 US dollars per contract. And it looks like Russia's Gazprom is going to cut Nord Stream flows once again, this time by 50%, a really bad situation, getting worse for Germany and many other parts of Europe. By the way, natural gas here is on the rise as well, in part because we see many U.S. liquefied natural gas, maybe the long-term answer to Europe's Putin problem. Crude oil, by the way, also slightly higher off the close. It is at 96 and change. We showed you European natural gas. We'll talk more about this with Samantha Dart of Goldman Sachs in just a minute. All right, speaking of Europe, let's go now to Europe, talk about the reaction there, get some headlines and how the market is trading. Juliana Tatelbaum is there with all of that. Juliana, I mean, these natural gas and these electricity prices are just, uh, I mean, they're stratospheric. What kind of attention is this getting in the British media right now? I I just don't know how people are going to afford to heat their homes this winter. 
You know, Brian, it is absolutely a top story and a major concern, not only here in the UK, but in continental Europe. What's interesting, though, is that markets have been pretty resilient, which perhaps suggests that a lot of the bad news is priced in, or perhaps investors are waiting for more clarity around how the European Union and the UK government will react if the gas situation worsens from here. As for trade this morning, we are moving higher. So a lot more focus on earnings right now, it would seem. And for the most part, earnings have been relatively upbeat relative to expectation. So every major market in Europe is trading higher. We're seeing about four-tenths of a percent worth of gains for the CAC 40 in France, the FTSE 100 here in the UK as well. A bit of outperformance in Italy, FTSE MIB up about half a percent. This comes after the Italian market pulled back yesterday in an outsized way, losing about one percent while the overall market remained flat. Today, Unicredit shares are trading toward the top of the market after delivering a better than expected result. So that's pulling up the Italian market. It wasn't just Unicredit, though, Unicredit, though, in focus in the banking sector. Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse, two big names to watch this morning. Deutsche Bank reported a 33 percent rise in profit in the second quarter, its highest in the period since 2011. The German lender posted 6.6 billion euros in net revenue and said it's seen growth across all core businesses. But the bank warned of challenging months ahead and was cautious about achieving a key returns target this year. As a result, shares are down more than 4 percent. Big news over at Credit Suisse. The Swiss lender has announced the departure of CEO Thomas Gottstein, ending a troubled two-year tenure at the helm of the bank. The decision comes as Credit Suisse posted a net loss of 1.6 billion Swiss francs for the second quarter. Its head of asset management, Ulrich Korner, is set to take over from August. Interesting, the Credit Suisse share price reaction has been fairly muted. We're down just eight-tenths of a percent. Brian? Yeah, but today it's Credit Suisse. Yesterday it was the CEO of Volkswagen, European CEO, starting to drop like flies. Juliana Tadabam, thank you very much. All right, meantime, a very busy morning back here at home as the busiest week of earnings season rolls on. And here's kind of a maybe a bonus mini RBI courtesy of Bank of America. Going back 20 quarters. What is that? One, two, carry the five. That's five years. The busiest week of earnings season has been the worst week for stocks in the past five years, with the S&P 500 on average closing down about two-tenths of 1% on the week. I guess that is random and interesting, but right now let's get to Contessa Brewer with some of today's biggest movers. Contessa, what's moving? Brian, let's start with Microsoft. Shares higher despite the company reporting its first earnings miss in more than six years and first revenue miss since January 2019. This was the first time the company missed on both the top and bottom lines since April 2016. Year-over-year comps not helping either, with Microsoft posting its slowest revenue growth since 2020, just 12%. Possibly helping the stock this morning in the early trade, the company reaffirming its full-year 2023 outlook despite the weakening economic climate. You know, Contessa Brewer is not only good at many things, one of her strongest strengths is that she has this ability to stand completely still and not move, not blink, not move for, for hours at a time. It's truly amazing. Contessa, we'll see in a few minutes. All right, stock number two, by the way, is Visa. Shares are edging lower ahead of the open despite beating on both the top and bottom line estimates for its fiscal third quarter. The company's CFO saying, while some level of product substitutions are likely taking place from discretionary to staples, quote, 
We are seeing no evidence of a pullback in consumer spending. Wow. That matches what we have heard from fellow card companies, American Express. By the way, revolving debt in America, which is basically credit card debt, nearly a record high. Everybody's spending and they're putting it on credit cards. You decide if that's a good thing long term. All right, stock number three is Google's parent company, Alphabet, higher ahead of the open. That despite missing also on the top and bottom line for the second straight quarter, that's its first back-to-back quarterly miss since January of 2015, seven and a half years ago. That's similar to Microsoft. Sales growth slowed in the second quarter of 13%, its slowest pace in two years. The most notable deceleration was in its YouTube business, where sales rose just 5% after jumping 84% in the same period a year ago, where still... A surging U.S. dollar, the almighty greenback, knocking about 4% off revenue growth. Microsoft CFO says currency headwinds will be even worse next quarter. Alphabet shares, by the way, have lost about 25% of their value. We talk a lot about, you know, this European crisis, and you think, well, why are they harping on this so much? A lot of it also has to do with currencies, which is bad for American companies. All right. So much to do on this busy Friday. And when we come back, speaking of Goldman's Samantha Dart on where Europe's energy crisis goes from here. And yes, why it matters to America and American investors also. Plus, why shares of PayPal are getting a big bump ahead of the open. I want you to think hedge fund. Later on, digging into inflation and the Fed. Nat West, Michelle Girard is here. Futures, they're higher, up triple digits. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. All right, welcome or welcome back. Vladimir Putin continues to play games with Germany's energy supply. Floors, flows in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline will once again be cut back starting today. Gazprom says it is likely to cut those flows by half. That would be to just 20% of the Nord Stream's total capacity, down from the already cut rate of 40%. The Russian monopoly blaming a pipeline engine problem, which Germany effectively says is just a lie. This is natural gas prices continue to surge to record highs at now 60 U.S. dollars equivalent per contract in Europe. We are paying $9.10, which is the highest in 14 years. So where does this all go from here? Samantha Dart of Goldman Sachs is with us now. She is the firm's head of natural gas research, no doubt. Uh, working pretty much 24-7 these days, Samantha. I mean, I can't reiterate this to our audience. We show these spot charts 
You know, they're priced in euros per megawatt hour, 217. That's about 60 U.S. dollars equivalent for the same contract. How high can European natural gas prices actually go before entire economies simply have to shut down? Well, that's exactly it. You need to reduce activity levels. Think about it this way. You have a problem of this size, which is the dropping flows of Nord Stream 1. Then you need a solution uh, of equal magnitude, right? So part of that solution will be coal capacity restarts that Germany already announced. Part of that solution will be household heating savings over the course of the next few months. But the rest of it, the bulk of it, will be reduced activity. It's lower industrial demand for natural gas, which brings uh, demand for electricity down, and as a result, lower demand for natural gas for electricity generation. It, you know, we keep talking about the slowdown of the European economy, but in this case, the slowdown is directly caused by the lack of the commodity. Yeah, we were at a steel mill in Germany last week, Samantha. I don't know if you caught that because we're trying to tell the story of why this matters. I mean, Germany is is not some podunk economy. It's the fourth biggest economy in the world. It's 25% of all of Europe. Europe's combined economy is not quite as big as America, but it's the same size as China. And now we're talking about literally telling companies, we're sorry, you have to stop producing chemicals or cars or whatever, because of what we're showing now, which is the real risk that there won't be enough storage to heat homes in the winter. How does this play out? Right. So to your point, the biggest risk that Europe faces is the lack of natural gas in the winter, right? So governments want to avoid the risk of blackouts, the risk of lack of heating. And as a result, most of the work needs to be done now in the summer. So what we expect to see is the highest prices playing out right now, not necessarily in winter, because now is when the problem needs to be fixed. Government intervention. You talk about the the possibility of rationing, a real possibility uh, that, that Germany in particular is facing. But even if you start with some voluntary measures where, for example, governments can buy back natural gas from industrial users so that that gas instead of being consumed in industrial manufacturing, it's just uh, saved in storage instead. These are all measures that can be taken now during the summer so that we avoid these risks for the winter. This is exactly our expectation, that prices will spike the highest now so that by the time you get the winter, if you've done the work on storage, that urgency to kill demand uh, slows down. Do you think the, this is the peak price right now, Samantha? Unless we have a colder than average winter. Yeah, so under average weather, this should be the peak. Q3 is the, the panic. It's, it's that sense that uh, we need to guarantee that storage goes to a high enough level to reduce risks for the winter. And then if you have normal winter temperatures, yes, we expect prices to come off sequentially. If, however, you have a cold spike in the middle of winter, that's always a risk we can't deny. 
Goldman Sachs, Samantha Dart on really what is maybe one of the biggest, if not the biggest global economic story right now. Uh, Samantha, let's hope you're right. Let's hope it does not get much worse. And everybody really hoping and praying for a mild winter. I mean, that we're literally betting on the weather. Scary times. Samantha Dart, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, now we're going to do today's RBI a little bit early today because let's get random but interesting on exactly what we just talked about. That is Europe's energy crisis. Russia tightening the screws on Germany once again. But what we really don't know is how much of an impact a major gas or energy shortage might have on Germany and the rest of Europe. There are a lot of estimates that are floating around out there. And here is one that just came out from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. And though their recent report is long and wonky, data firm Statista did some helpful work in dragging out some of the numbers. And here is what they found. If Russia were to fully turn off gas flows, they're not. They're dialing it back to 20%. But if they cut it fully off like they did last week for maintenance, it would slam a number of economies across Europe. They estimate that a year after a gas shutoff, the entire EU economy would lose nearly 3%. I know that doesn't sound like a lot until you realize the combined EU economy is about $18 trillion, the same size as China, not much smaller than the United States. So what companies would get the biggest hit? Well, Hungary would take the single biggest hit, according to IMF and Statista, although it is likely to make a separate deal with Russia. Italy is the second most exposed economy. They were heavily reliant on both oil and gas from Russia. In fact, Italy's biggest refinery is in Sicily, and it is owned by the Russians. Germany, of course, is the biggest worry. It is the largest economy in Europe, about one quarter of all output, And the IMF and Statista estimate that it could lose nearly 3% of its economy. Now, I'm sure you can find many smart people who think that estimate is way too small. I know we've been kind of beating a horse here. As we have said many times, energy is not part of an economy. It is the economy. In many ways, economies are just taking energy and converting it to some other productive use. And let's be clear, this is not just a Europe issue. Europe, not only a huge manufacturer of mostly higher value goods, it is also a big buyer of the stuff that American companies produce. And any slowdown across Europe will hit earnings here and maybe the stock prices of American companies. Oh, by the way, it could also send the euro down even more against the dollar. And that, as we just heard from Microsoft and Google and their earnings overnight, is another bad thing for corporate earnings. Bottom line, it's random but interesting, but it's also important. And for you to make sure that you know now which stocks that you may own that have a lot of exposure to Europe and its economy. Time stamp it and thank us later. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. A solar stock getting a big bump ahead of the open. It is your mystery chart. There it is. Who is it? We're going to find out. Coming up, Dow Futures up 160. We're back right after this. Today's big number, 2 billion. That's how many electric vehicles the world needs to be on the road by 2050 in order to achieve net zero, according to the World Economic Forum. 6.6 million EVs were sold last year. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 
Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Stock number one, that is your mystery chart. And the answer to the mystery is Professor Plum in the live... Wait, no, no, sorry. It's Enphase Energy, the maker of solar power products, reporting better than expected second quarter results thanks to a growing business in Europe. So that's some good news from overseas. They race to replace natural gas. Companies also guiding third quarter revenue in a range above. Analysts estimate stock two, Chipotle. Profits and margins topping multiple forecasts, multiple price hikes, helping cushion the blow from rising input costs. And Chipotle does say that while lower income customers are not ordering as often, a majority of its customers are higher income, and they actually increased their frequency of eating at Chipotle. By the by, Chipotle CEO Brian Nickel will be on Squawk on the Street in a first on CNBC interview at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And stock three is PayPal. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Elliott Management has built a stake in the company. Now, the exact size and stake on Elliott's intentions are not known, but you can probably figure out the latter. Maybe Elliott sees value. PayPal shares are down more than half this year, and it cut its profit outlook in April saying that payment volumes could take a hit from not only inflation, but from the war in Ukraine. PayPal, watching that stock soaring. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines outside of the world of money and business. For that, Francis Rivera is in New York. Good morning, Francis. Hi, Brian. Good morning. A bombshell report by The Washington Post. The paper reports that the Justice Department is investigating former President Trump's actions in its criminal probe of January 6th. Two people familiar with the matter told The Post that investigators are examining Mr. Trump's conversations and seized phone records of top aides. Trump has not commented on The Post's report. In just a few hours, Brittany Griner is set to testify in a Russian court. The WNBA star has been detained since February after vape cartridges containing less than a gram of cannabis oil was found in her luggage at the Moscow airport. She has pleaded guilty to drug charges but denies breaking the law intentionally. She faces up to 10 years in prison. Her supporters have stepped up their calls for the U.S. government to do more to free her, fearing she is being used as a political pawn amid Russia's war in Ukraine. Lottery fever on a whole new level, one that is now 10 figures large as the Mega Millions jackpot swelled back and passed the billion-dollar mark. 
No winners nabbed the $830 million jackpot in last night's drawing. The grand prize now stands at $1.02 billion and growing for the next drawing Friday night. That is the third largest jackpot in Mega Millions history. And you got the Powerball jackpot that sits at $145 million for tonight's drawing. So in all, over $1.1 billion are up for grabs. So here we are, Brian. We're at the billion point mark. Uh, it's just a matter of time before somebody wins this thing or multiple people win this thing. Can you imagine just their lives changing in this like economic world that you guys are reporting on every single day? Well, all I would say to them is, if you win, congratulations. Turn off your phones. Uh, move into someplace nobody knows. Cut off all contact with family members and hire really good attorneys and financial advisors. What would be the first thing, Francis, you would buy if you won, I don't know, $600 million after taxes? What What's was the, the first, first thing? Man, that's a t- you know what? Let's go all out. A big old party. How's that? You're invited. Everybody's invited. A big old party. We'll call the bosses. Tell them, you know, a night out. You're up late. Bags under the eyes if you go to work. I would buy, I would buy three days of solid sleep. <laughs> Just I don't know days. if you can get that, billionaire or not, Brian. And a solid gold yacht. Francis, thank <laughs> you very much. Appreciate it. Although that would sink. I, oh, that would sink. <laughs> All right, on deck. Good luck to everybody out there, by the way. All right, on deck, as we round the turn here on the show, why weaker than expected results from some of tech's biggest names are not doing anything to dissuade some traders' bullish bets. RBC's Amy Wu Silverman is back. She's got your options action ahead. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. We get it. The show is early. Sometimes it's too early for us. We listen to our own podcast to remember what we said. It's available on all the major apps. Check it out. Look at that guy. That was like 15 pounds ago. We're back right after this. All aboard the earnings train, and it is not slowing down for anyone. Gearing up for another busy day ahead of results with one big tech name once again in the spotlight. Stock futures, they're up nicely ahead of the open. The Federal Reserve also in focus. Central Bank going to raise rates again today, but will Jay Powell and the Central Bank go big to try to take a bigger bite out of inflation? And Twitter becoming the latest tech firm to cut hiring. It also sets a date for shareholders to have a say Elon Musk's takeover bid. It's all happening on this busy Wednesday, July 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, and good Wednesday morning, everybody. It's going to be a busy one. Thanks for joining us. About 5.30 here on the East, and happy Fed Day as well. The central bank is going to raise rates later today. Pretty much that is a lock. The only question is, what might it indicate about future demand? Well, ahead of that, stock futures they're up nicely. In fact, the NASDAQ is up 197. It's up more than the Dow. So the NASDAQ getting set in big tech maybe for a nice pop this morning. Things could change, but still nicely in the green. Bond yields, they continue to kind of come down or sit where they were. They really haven't moved at all. They're back to mid-April levels now with the 10-year yield at 2.8%. Of course, any change in Fed guidance could move the bond market, but bonds have been uh, maybe in a good way kind of going back to being boring Energy really is the space to watch right now. Natural gas soaring yesterday on expected demand, both here and overseas. Uh, U.S. LNG, of course, being seen maybe as the long-term answer 
to what is happening in Europe. Now, natural gas here is hovering at just over nine bucks, nine dollars and three cents, which I'm sorry to say means your utility bills are probably going to go up again this winter or whenever your rates reset, especially if you have a fixed rate plan that, you know, resets every six months or every year. Crude oil, by the way, is up a couple of ticks. Now, despite these higher prices, feel very good that we are in America, not in Europe. Their natural gas prices, and again, they're spiraling out of control. That number is priced in euros per megawatt hour. I I get it. Do the conversion. That is the equivalent now of 60 U.S. dollars for natural gas. We're paying $9.03. They're paying 60 for the exact same contract. So Europe is paying 500% more for the same product. I know I'm talking about it all the time. You're probably like, gee whiz, Sullivan, stop talking about it. That's the equivalent, folks, of $350 per barrel oil. Let that sink in. Well, it does. Now let's get to some of this morning's other top stories, including more headwinds for Twitter and its fight with Elon Musk and President Biden getting ready to make a call with China Contessa is back. Contessa, your powers to remain completely still never cease to amaze me. You know what? I can hold perfectly still for a long time. It's not a skill that often comes in handy, Brian. Listen, Twitter says it significantly slowed hiring during the second quarter. The company revealed the move in a filing with the SEC. Twitter pointed to the need to manage its cost structure in light of the current macroeconomic environment last week. Twitter blamed its sales decline on uncertainty related to the pending acquisition by Elon Musk. And speaking of that deal, Twitter's announced it will hold a shareholder meeting to vote on the $44 billion takeover by Musk September 13th. Twitter's board of directors previously has urged its shareholders to approve the sale to Musk, despite the Tesla CEO announcing earlier this month he plans to pull out of the deal. Shares of Teva are surging after the company announced it's reached a settlement deal to resolve lawsuits over its alleged role in this country's opioid crisis. Under the deal, the Israeli drug maker will pay more than $3 billion over the next 13 years to states and local governments. Also, it will supply $1.2 billion worth of its generic version of an opioid overdose reversal drug over 10 years. You can see that stock trading up 16 percent in the early hours. President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping are set to speak tomorrow amid simmering tensions over trade and Taiwan. It will mark the first conversation between the two leaders since March. The call comes as Biden weighs lifting some Trump-era tariffs on Chinese-made products and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is considering a possible trip to Taiwan. Brian? Contessa, thank you very much. We'll see you in a bit. All right, big tech is front and center during the busiest week of earnings season, which, by the way, is this week. And this morning, shares of Google parent Alphabet and Microsoft are both higher ahead of the open, despite some pretty historic quarterly misses and sales growth slowdowns. But we are not anywhere close to being done yet. Investors bracing for results out of Meta, Facebook's parent, Apple, Amazon, all out later on this week. And with us now is RBC Capital Markets Equity Derivative Strategist and Managing Director Amy Wu Silverman. Amy, it's great to have you back on. It's an important time. Futures are up today, which, which is fascinating given the numbers out of Microsoft and Google, which arguably were not great. In fact, some of them had like these multi-year historic slowdowns. 
to what do you attribute this sort of divergence in the markets and the individual names? Yeah, good morning. I think, you know, it comes down to what the expectations are, right, that were set going in. And I will tell you that it's been fascinating to watch this earnings season because we had a really different playbook the last two quarters. All these different stocks had been really beating the implied moves set out by their options. And, you know, frankly, I had expected that to be the same case this quarter. It is not happening at all in any of these big cap tech stocks. And the other thing that is kind of funny is the option sentiment has been pretty consistently bullish this entire time. You know, even one week before, two weeks before, as we set that earnings preview, really the only downside uh, sentiment we saw was an Apple. All, the, all these other stocks were flagging this bullish sentiment, Brian. Yeah, why is that? I mean, I'm trying to understand that the numbers weren't great, but yet investors, maybe maybe it's a, a longer-term positive, Amy, that investors kind of, they pulled a Taylor Swift. They shook it off. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, you know, one thing, this relates to kind of a broader theme that we had been seeing, which is if you believe we've reached the point where there's been broad de-risking, degrossing, capitulation, and, and that has happened, then you're resetting the stage here, even at numbers where maybe they didn't meet expectations, but still relative to where positioning was, they were reasonable. Then, you know, things, well, I mean, frankly, we'll see how they trade today because I think post-market is always tricky in terms of giving a, a full flavor. But, you know, that certainly was what was echoed as well by, by different people as the, uh, as the earnings happened. You know, we were just talking about Europe and the energy crises. And at the end of the piece, we talked about its impact on currencies because sometimes people don't really put the pieces together. This is a major currency story. Currencies, of course, are a major story for many big multinationals. A higher dollar could be very bad. But as our friend and colleague Jim Cramer wrote last night, not all currencies and companies are created equal, right, Amy? I mean, currencies are really bad for some companies, but not that bad or maybe positive for others. How closely are you watching like the dollar and euro among the other million things that you're watching every day? That's that's super important. That's probably one of the key themes we're seeing this year, you know, outside of outside of credit. And, you know, one thing we're looking at idiosyncratically is, as you said, it really comes down to company by company. So unfortunately, there's no uh, I love, you know, screens that can kind of capture 500 names at once. But you really do have to go down to the balance sheet level and say, OK, where is this company's debt denominated? Is it denominated in you know U.S. dollars, but actually its revenues are coming through in euros? And that's a big problem as we hit parity or maybe go through. And the, the thing is, you know, one, I guess, shortcut if you will, is on liquid names and options, you can see that in SKU levels. So meaning if people are starting to demand hedges, um, part of that reason could be something of the currency because that that has been an overwhelming theme kind of outside of um, leverage in the system at this point this year. Yeah, Jim making that important point in his investing club newsletter, always on point. Amy Wu Silverman of RBC, we know you got 100 things to do today. We'll see you soon. Thanks for getting up early and joining us, Amy. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. All right, coming up, if you haven't heard, by the way, the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates later on today. Breaking news. But will they go bigger? Will they go a full percentage point to try to get tougher on tackling inflation? Michelle Durard is here to lay out what to expect in that announcement today. And as we head to break, some of your other top headlines happening now. 
A Texas jury finding charter communications liable for $7 billion in punitive damages in connection to the 2019 murder of a customer. The jury finding the cable company responsible for one of its employees who robbed and killed the customer. Meantime, ground staff at German airline Lufthansa have gone on strike over labor talks around a pay hike. That strike prompting the cancellation of more than 1,000 flights and adding to already existing travel headaches. Go see my Twitter feed if you want to know what we're talking about. And the top U.S. consumer finance watchdog letting big tech know its entry into the buy now, pay later space is officially on the agency's radar. Speaking in new interviews, Consumer Financial Protection Director Rohit Chopra says his agency will take a careful look at the implications of Apple and others moving into the space. Yeah, it's his agency will publish a new report on buy now, pay later this fall with new rules likely coming next year. Government never seen an industry they didn't want to regulate. Stock features up more back right after this. All right, welcome back. I want to bring you a quick market flash because we are watching shares of Coinbase right now. Funds controlled by ARK's Kathy Wood dumping Coinbase for the first time this year. That, according to a report in Bloomberg, this is the largest U.S. crypto exchange, finds itself at the center of an SEC investigation. In all, three ARK investment management funds sold just over 1.4 million shares worth about 75 million as of yesterday's close. The firm's flagship ARK Innovation ETF sold 1.13 million shares. ARK was the third biggest shareholder of Coinbase at the end of June. It still may be. Who knows how much the first and second or fourth have. Either way, Coinbase not reacting to that report. It's 5.5% to the upside. But we're going to watch Coinbase on that ARK investment news. All right, the Federal Reserve is set to wrap its two-day policy meeting today and announce its latest rate hike, that at 2 p.m. Eastern time. They will raise rates. The only question is, by how much? Will it be the expected three-quarters of a percentage point, a.k.a. 75 basis points? Or will they go big, maybe do a full percent? Inflation, it's at a 40-year high. The question then is, will Chairman Powell and the Federal Reserve be forced to be more aggressive with their strategy, try to bring down inflation? That's a question. Let's get answers. Joining us now is Michelle Girard head of U.S. at NatWest Markets. Uh, Michelle, always great to have you on. Happy Fed Day, by the way. I didn't get Happy you anything. Fed I apologize. Day, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe next Fed meeting. You think they go big? Is there a possibility they go one full percent? No, I, I have to say the markets were quite worried about that after that last surprisingly high CPI report. Uh, the Fed uh, you know, whether it was official or unofficial, uh, again, signaled um, not only in comments made by Fed officials after that meeting, but also there was another Wall Street Journal article which suggested that the, you know, 75 was the was the likely move. And and so I, I don't think I mean, now the market's only pricing in less than 15 percent chance of a 100 basis point move. I think going 75 basis points on top of a 75 basis points in June and perhaps continuing to signal, despite some signs of slower growth, that they are going to continue to keep hiking. I think that will be enough for the Fed to do today. We have seen some signs of inflation. I don't want to say coming down. Yeah, commodities have come down. Gasoline prices have come down. But, you know, things like health care and education and rents, they continue to go up in most places. So balance it out as you will. But do you think that inflation has peaked? I mean, could the Fed eventually, the next couple of meetings, start that, that pivot so many talk about? 
Well, let's see. So we do think that that last CPI report for June marked the peak in terms of the year-over-year inflation rate touching just above 9%. And as you said, energy prices have come down. The, the headline figures in particular will look a little bit better. We do think the year-over-year rate numbers are going to come down. So it, it's going to look like the situation is improving on inflation. But it's still going to stay persistently high. And we don't have the, we have the inflation rate finishing this year at close to 5%. So that's still way too high. And at 3% at the end of next year, above the Fed's 2% target. So it'll be moving in the right direction, but not coming down um, to, the, to the target level, certainly not quickly enough. And so this idea about a pivot, I mean, I say pivot because the market is pricing in expectations for a rate cut next year uh, because they you know there's expectation or fears of a, of a recession i don't think those inflation numbers yeah. give the fed room to pivot they might be able to slow the pace of hiking but not outright pivot yeah and, and you can get some smart people that will argue that the inflation is actually higher than 40 years ago because they've changed the makeup of the consumer price index since we last recorded 1980, we won't have to go down that road, Michelle. But what do you make of a 10-year yield at 2.8%? I mean, it's come down, you know, from 32 or whatever in the last couple of, of weeks. I mean, the yeah, bond market it, is, seems to be telling a different story. Well, the bond market is, is worried about a recession. We've had, you know, a, a slew of weaker-than-expected data. The consumer's holding in very, you know, showing, showing resilience in terms of spending, um, but you know, we've continued, whether it's home sales, whether it's the PMI manufacturing surveys, all of them are showing signs of slowing. And the market, of course, is jumping ahead to to, to recession. And this idea that that's going to force the Fed's hand to pivot yeah. and at the very will we'll bring inflation down. And that's brought bond yields down. I just am concerned that I, I don't I think the market may be missing the real fear or risk, I should say, that even if growth slows, inflation may be persistently high. And again, this idea that if the economy slows, it'll get the Fed to back off in terms of rate hikes. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. And so I yeah. think yield levels coming down are probably not sustainable. I think it's going to be very difficult for bond yields to move lower until inflation, unless inflation really surprises us and comes in much lower, much faster. Yeah. What do you, you, you raise somebody's rent, you then cut it? No. You give somebody a, a, an increase in pay, do you cut it? No. Inflation is insidious. It feeds on itself and it probably lasts longer than we think. Michelle Gerard, love having you on as always. Have Thanks, a great Brian. day, Michelle. Take care. All right. Always. All right. On deck. Much more on the Fed with our friend Jeff Kilberg and the earnings that he says are a must-watch right now. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It is going to be a very busy Wednesday. You got two economic numbers that are coming out before the bell. You got durable goods at 8:30, pending home sales at 10 a.m. But by the way, you might have heard there's a Fed meeting at 2 p.m. Eastern time. They will make their interest rate call. Then they will have the all-important press conference. Obviously, CNBC will have complete coverage of that decision. You've also got the earnings parade rolling on. you got earnings at a Boeing, Ford, Facebook, and Qualcomm. Let's talk more about all of it now with our friend Jeff Kilberg. He's the Chief Investment Officer of Sanctuary Wealth. Jeff, did you hear my tease? I said Jeff will give us the must-watch earnings. So what are they, well, Jeff? The mu- 
Well, so certainly to your point, we're talking about Boeing before the bell. We're looking at Qualcomm, Facebook. Maybe Facebook uh, can go back that old ticker FB as they re- really try to focus on their core business. But really, is going to be the guiding light this week is even though we saw 150 S&P 500 names report yesterday, we're looking at Apple. Apple always has a great idea and helps us better understand and digest what that middle market consumer is doing. We saw yesterday in Texas Instruments, we saw that they seem to be turning things around, but nonetheless, we're looking at Apple. Apple really has the ability to get a better understanding of what did those China lockdowns, those stringent lockdowns, really do to supply chain and to the consumer. So watch for Apple on Thursday. We have so many different things today. The Fed, the 10-year note, my goodness. So it, it's, it's like cue up the white snake. Here I go again. I'm going back to bed. I mean, it's, I, I can't deal with it mentally. I just I need some sleep to prepare for that press conference at 2 o'clock, Jeff. All right, do you find any – I know you're a little more bullish on the macro markets than many are. I mean, it's kind of everybody's tripping over themselves not to cut estimates and be negative. Do you find any solace in the fact that the markets, while down yesterday, they didn't fall that much? I mean, the Dow was down like 100 points when Walmart just got absolutely destroyed. You bring a great point, Sully. Now, what I think is really interesting about this week is that we have higher expectations, and today's a Fed day, so we're always going to have more volatility. We look at the VIX. The VIX is pretty subdued, but I think what's interesting going into this, we have expectations, and we really saw a grim outlook for earnings expectations. And just like this month, Sully, I celebrated my 20-year anniversary with my wife. It's the same thing that she said. It's the same analogy for earnings. It's not that bad. It hasn't been that bad. So here we are seeing earnings as a bit of a catalyst. But to your point, Sully, today we are going to see volatility. I look at the 50-day moving average, the S&P 500. Last time I was on, we talked about how important these technicals are. When you see this type of emotion come into the marketplace, you have to rely upon the technicals. Certainly, and sure enough, we saw the 10-year the note come back under 3%, and we did see the technicals in the S&P 500 take back above 3920. I think yeah. we're in a pretty good spot here, and the surprise that the Upside. Remember, Sully, volatility moves up and down. And the VIX only at 24, which, by the way, is kind of shockingly low given everything that's going on. I want to talk about currencies. I don't normally talk about currencies, yet, but I know you're an old Chicago Pitts guy, so you can do this. Jim's Investment Club had a very important note last night talking about, you know, the strong dollar. And we've talked about the weakening euro and the strong dollar, and it's bad for companies, but it's not, a, it's not bad for all companies, right? I mean, 71%, as Jim notes, of the S&B gets their sales from the United States. That means 29% is around the world. How important is it for your clients to watch not only the dollar, but what percentage of sales that companies may get overseas? Oh, it's a dramatically important input, and Kramer is absolutely right. But what's interesting about the strength of the dollar, one, I could argue that it's been priced in, but secondly, it's a great offset to inflation. You see the strength of the consumer. That buying power has gone up. So, yes, we are absolutely watching this when you see the S&P 500, one-third of their profits come from overseas. But I think you have to take in the fact that a lot of this, a lot of this bad news, a lot of the dollar, a lot of the strength, you're going to see that come out. Look at Microsoft yesterday. They priced in a very, very rosy forecast. And that forecast moved Microsoft, which was down initially off of earnings, now back up. And that's been one of the drivers in technology. So I think it's interesting. What matters this earnings season is very different than the last earnings season. We talk about top line, we talk about bottom line, but now forward guidance is so critical. So we're going to embrace forward guidance from every company coming out this week in earnings. Looking forward, not looking backward. It is rosy and maybe it is Riveting. Jeff Kilberg, CIO of Sanctuary Wealth. Jeff, always a pleasure, my friend, to have you on. Thank you. Have a great day.
All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I get to have the next couple of days off, but you're going to see me on Squawk Box in about 10 minutes as well. So stick around. Squawk and the gang picking up coverage on a big Fed day, big earnings day. Stock futures are up. Good morning, by the way. Short break. Squawk is next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.